It's good to be with you this morning. I appreciate the invitation from the session to be here uh, with you today. I, in some ways, I'm glad to be back with you. I uh, did was at Palmer Home for Children some years ago, and it's been almost 20 years ago, but I did preach here several times back in the day. And it's good to be back with you again uh, this morning. Uh, now, Jimmy mentioned that we were friends, been friends a long time, but I'm not uh, so sure about this old business. <laughs> we try not to seem so old, but we all get there, don't we? But anyway, I'm happy to be here with you uh, this morning and uh, look forward to uh, getting to speak to some of you after the service this morning as well. If you'll turn with me your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. I'll be preaching this morning from one of the parables of Jesus. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant from Matthew chapter 18. I'll begin with verse 21 and read through the end of the chapter, verse 35, and I will be reading from the New American Standard translation of the Bible. As we read, let us remember this is the word of the living God. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together in worship. We thank you for the Lord's day. We thank you for the Lord's house. We thank you for the Lord's word. We pray now as we turn our attention to it that you would be our helper through the Holy Spirit. 
we know that these things are spiritually appraised and requires spiritual minds and hearts to be able to understand them, to perceive them, to apply them. And so we pray for grace to that end by the help of the Holy Spirit, our teacher, that you would enable us to grasp the truths that are before us. And as our needs might become evident, would you give us the grace and the ability to apply them to our hearts? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, Jesus loved to teach in parables and he used that uh, teaching method uh, quite often. In fact, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record some 30 different parables that Jesus told. I'm sure you've heard the old simple definition of what a parable is. A parable has been called an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That is, parables are simply stories about life, stories about real life situations, simple stories that Jesus used to tell important spiritual truths. Whether it be a woman who lost a valuable coin or a shepherd who had a sheep wander from the fold or a farmer who went out and sowed seed on the ground or a son who took his inheritance early and squandered it on loose living, you get the idea. A parable is just a simple story about life that Jesus used to teach an important spiritual or heavenly lesson. Not only did Jesus love to teach in parables, I love to preach from the parables. As we preachers are inclined to say, they give us a lot of sermonic material. And all the parables have some specific application to our lives. Many of those applications are quite personal. And some are quite convicting, as I think we'll probably see as we go through this parable this morning. As I, when I preach from the parables, there are three things I like to do. One is we'll look at the context of the parable. That is, we'll try to see why it is Jesus told this parable at this particular point in his ministry. Then we'll look at the story of the parable itself. And then finally, we'll try to draw some meaning and application to our lives from what we find here. So first then, what's the context of this parable? Well, this parable is found obviously here in Matthew chapter 18. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, this happens to be the chapter where we find the principles that will be called church discipline. That is, here Jesus gives instructions, specifically in verses 15 through 18 of this chapter, gives instructions on how churches are to deal with people in the congregation who fall into sin. It's here Jesus tells us how we are to deal with people who fall into grievous sin. He also tells us how we're to deal with others who sin against us. Well, it was right after that that Peter asked Jesus a question. You know, Peter was the inquisitive one among the apostles. Well, it was more than that. He was impetuous and he was bold. Sometimes he would ask questions before he stopped to think about what he was about to ask. He would say something before he stopped to think about what he was about to say. And so Peter used this opportunity when Jesus had talked about how do we restore an erring brother, someone who sinned against us, how do we restore them to fellowship? Peter used that opportunity to ask Jesus a question that we find in verse 21, where he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me 
and I forgive him up to seven times. You see, Peter wanted to know the limits on forgiving others. I'm sure that he thought he was being quite generous and going up to seven times. You see, the Jewish religious leaders only required that you forgive someone three times. After that, you didn't have to forgive them anymore. There was a learned Jewish rabbi who said, if a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, do not forgive him. And so I'm sure that uh, Peter was expecting praise from Jesus uh, for his good heart and going all the way up to seven times. But Jesus' response to Peter was anything but praise. What he said to Peter in verse 22 was, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Jesus was not trying to get Peter to play a numbers game. Nor was he even setting 490 as the outer limits of the number of times you are required to forgive someone who sins against you. Jesus' point is, there is no limit that the number of times you are required to give someone out, forgive someone else, is an infinite number. And of course, there's good reason for that. Aren't you glad that God doesn't limit the number of times he forgives you? You see here, Jesus is describing the way that God forgives us. Aren't you glad God doesn't stop at seven times? Aren't you glad God doesn't stop at 70 times seven? You see, God doesn't have his little book out recording every time you've sinned against him. And when you, when you reach a certain number, he says, aha, you've reached the limit. I'm not going to forgive you again. Don't even ask. You see, God's forgiveness of us is unlimited. And to make that point to Peter and to show Peter that his forgiveness of others should be just the way God forgives us, that it should be unlimited. Jesus told this parable of the unmerciful servant. That's the context. Well, second, we need to look at the parable itself. What is this earthly story that Jesus tells here to teach us a heavenly or spiritual lesson? Well, this parable, of course, is about a king who we're told in verse 23, called in his servants to settle accounts with them. Now, we're not sure what kind of financial arrangements this man had with these servants, but somehow they obviously had become indebted to him. He perhaps had given them cash advances, maybe he had loaned them money. But whatever the case may be, he decided it was time to settle those delinquent accounts. Well, one of the servants who came before him, Jesus says, owed him 10,000 talents. Now there's a footnote in my Bible that says that a talent is worth more than 15 years wages of a laborer. You can go to any commentary and find the same thing. Jesus used this figure 
which is really an astronomical number, to make the point of how God forgives us sinners, showing that God's forgiveness is unlimited. You see, the amount of money this man owed in the parable to the king, in today's money would be in the hundreds of thousands, if not the millions of dollars. This man was way over his head in debt to the king. He had no way to repay it himself. And so I'm sure you can understand something of the anxiety and fear this servant had as he came before the king to deal with this delinquent account. I'm sure he wondered what the king would do to him. Well, since he had no means to repay, the only thing the king needed to do was to sell him, sell his wife, sell his children, sell all that he had, and apply that to the debt. If the king was going to recoup any of his money, that was really the only option that he had. Well, when the servant heard what the king planned to do, he pled for mercy. He knew it was the king's disposal. He knew that whatever the king said would be done. And so he fell on his face before the king and he pled for mercy. He said to him in verse 26, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Now the king knew that was impossible. The king knew that with him owing 10,000 talents, there was no way he would be able even to repay a portion of the debt, much less the debt in full. But apparently the king was touched by the man's apparent remorse. And we're told in verse 27 that, the, he, that he felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Did you hear that? He felt compassion, he released him, and he forgave him the debt. Wow, what an amazing thing. What a tremendous blessing. What an amazing turn of events. Even though this man did not deserve it, even though he did not merit it, even though he did not earn it, the king forgave him the whole debt. Well, apparently right after that, this servant went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him some money. Now, notice two things about that. One is, it seems he went out looking for this guy. If you look in verse 28, it says, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. It's not that they just happened to pass each other on the street. He went out looking for this guy who owed him this money. The other thing to notice is that the amount that was owed him was minuscule compared to what he had just been forgiven by the king. And once he found him, he grabbed him by the neck and he began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe. Well, the, the fellow slave didn't have the money to repay. And so he pled for mercy. He said, 
be patient with me and I will repay you. Sound familiar? The exact thing that servant had said to the king, but he was unwilling, unwilling to forgive the debt, unwilling to be patient. And so we had the fellow slave thrown into prison until he could repay it all. Well, there weren't cell phones to record what happened, but his friends saw what happened. And they knew the king had just forgiven him this huge debt. And now he was refusing to forgive a fellow slave a much smaller debt. And so they went and they told the king what had happened. So the king called him back in and he dealt with him. And to say that the king was unhappy would be an understatement. Verse 32, then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And then we're told that moved with intense anger, the king had him turned over to the torturers until he should repay the debt. Well, he was unable, you know, to repay the debt. So you know what that meant. He was sent away to his death. Well, that's the earthly story. Now third, what's the heavenly meaning that Jesus gives to it? What's the spiritual lesson that Jesus is teaching us here? This is known as a kingdom parable. There are several of those that Jesus told, and that's the way Jesus introduced it. If you look back in verse 23, Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. That is, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to what Jesus describes in this parable. This is the way the kingdom of heaven operates. This is the way kingdom people are to live. The comparison, of course, is between the enormous debt that we owe to God that we cannot repay and the gracious way God forgives us that debt. You see, God is likened to the king in the parable and we are likened to the servant. We have this astronomical debt of sin that we simply cannot repay. Our situation is just as helpless and just as hopeless as that servant who came before the king with this enormous debt. And just like him, we are completely dependent upon the mercy of God for forgiveness. You see, just as he begged for mercy for the king, that's our only hope as well. That's the only way we can ever be forgiven of this enormous spiritual debt that we owe to God. And the glory of the gospel is that if we ask for it, God will give it. If we plead for mercy, God will grant it. If we ask God to forgive us, He will do it. 1 John 1, 9, I'm sure you're familiar with it, says, 
If we confess our sins, if we just confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How did the king in the parable respond to this helpless and hopeless situation of this servant? How to respond to his plea for mercy? Remember, he felt compassion for him. He released him and he forgave him the debt. You see, dear friends, that's the way God responds to us. The only difference is that in God's case, the debt we owe is not just forgiven, it is repaid. God didn't just write it off as an unpayable debt, but he demanded that our debt be paid in full. And that's what the death of Jesus is about. You see, Jesus paid our full debt. He satisfied the full and complete justice of God for our sin. Not one of our sins remains. It's like the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So one of the most important things this parable teaches is the wonderful grace and mercy of God. He forgives all our sins and he doesn't hold them over our heads any longer. What a wonderful blessing. Hope you grasp this morning what a wonderful blessing that is. That God fully and completely forgives us of this enormous spiritual debt that we owe to him. David experienced that tremendous blessing of God's forgiveness. You know, David in the Bible is called a, a man after God's own heart. But as you're aware, he was a man with feet of clay. David sinned just like you and I do. And some of David's sins were significant, especially his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the sin of the murder of her husband, Uriah. Well, it's in Psalm 51 that we find David making his confession to God regarding his sin. In Psalm 51, David said this, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and you're blameless when you judge. David confessed his sin and he did so believing that God would forgive him. And it's on that basis he had said, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your, here's the word, the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David felt the fullness of the blessing of God's forgiving grace. And he expresses that in Psalm 32 where he said this, how blessed 
It's he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David is saying, how blessed, how happy are those who've experienced the forgiving grace of God who have been forgiven of this enormous spiritual debt. And I hope and trust this morning you've experienced that blessing that you know what it is to be forgiven by God. To have that debt wiped away. To have your sins washed away. What a blessing, David says, that is. But it doesn't stop there. You see, forgiveness is not just on the vertical level and that God forgives us. It's also to be experienced on the horizontal level in the way that we forgive each other. You know, that's the way Peter asked the question, isn't it? What did Peter ask? Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? But Jesus answered the question on the vertical level. Because you see, the way that you and I are to forgive each other is found in the way that God forgives us. God has shown mercy to us, and so we should forgive, show mercy to others. God has forgiven us even though we've sinned against him, and so we should forgive others even though they sin against us. God doesn't keep count of the times we've sinned against him and he's forgiven us, nor should we keep count of the times someone may have sinned against us and we have forgiven them. You know, Jesus said in Luke 6:36, you be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what the king said to the servant when he brought him back in. In verse 32, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? You see, that really is the key to understanding this parable. We're to have mercy on others, just as God has had mercy on us. And let's be honest. Many of us have a real problem with that. This teaching of Jesus is a real challenge, isn't it? To many of us. Most of us are slow to forgive and slower to forget. We tend to hold grudges, to be resentful, to harbor ill feelings. But you see, that's where the power of the gospel is to make a real impact, to make a real difference in our lives. It should enable us to forgive others and not hold what they have done or said to us or about us over their heads. Paul said in Ephesians chapter uh, three, be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Indeed, this is to be one of the 
most obvious powers of the transforming power of the gospel in our lives. It doesn't mean that we're saved by forgiving others. But it does mean that we show that we're saved by the way that we forgive others. How do we know that we've been forgiven by God if we don't forgive others? How can we say we've been forgiven by God and experienced this great blessing of being forgiven if we refuse to forgive others? The, the bottom line of the scriptures is, and the bottom line of this parable is, that if you don't forgive, if you don't forgive, then you've not been forgiven. If you refuse to forgive others, you've, you've never really experienced the fullness of God's forgiving grace in your life. That's what Jesus says in verse 35, my heavenly father will do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart, one who does not forgive others demonstrates he hasn't experienced the fullness of God's forgiving grace in his life. And it impacts every area of life, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Most marital problems stem from the fact that one or both partners in the marriage refuse to forgive the other for something that was said or done. Your marriage may be struggling this morning because you, your spouse, is holding a grudge for something that may have happened a long time ago. In most troubled marriage, there's a refusal to forgive. Most church conflicts arise because someone is unwilling to forgive. Something that was said or done. And in most churches, that's usually over a trivial matter that really doesn't matter. If you peel away the layers in a lot of churches, you'll find conflicts and hard feelings that go back years over something that was said or something that was done and someone refused to forgive. We're all aware of the many conflicts and tensions that we experience in our country today, I've never seen it like this. But how many of those conflicts are due to the fact that people on any side of any issue are unwilling to forgive because of something that was said or something that was done? You see, forgiveness is the grease that keeps any relationship running smoothly. And what this parable teaches us is that reconciliation with each other begins with reconciliation with God. Being able to forgive others begins with being forgiven by God. The more you understand how much God has forgiven you, the easier it will be for you to forgive others. Oh, the depth of the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God to us who are undeserving. And oh, that we would be able to show that same grace and that same mercy and that same compassion to 
to those who sin against us. After all, it is part of the heart-changing, life-transforming power of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for all of it, even the parts of it that tend to step on our toes, the parts that expose our own sin, our own frailty. Father, I know that in my own life, I've struggled right here. And so I pray for forgiveness for myself and my own hardness of heart and unwillingness to forgive. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you grant us all the same. And Father, if there be any broken relationships here because of an unwillingness to forgive, you would give grace to do that, to forgive, and to move forward in the power of the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.